Good afternoon and welcome to the City View podcast with me, Andy Sylvester at City AM. My last one of the week before our tech special going live on Friday afternoon tomorrow with Nassim De Silva. Before we talk to our guest today, the president of post-trade processing company Baton Systems, Jerome Kemp, doing some really interesting things in that space. The headlines this afternoon, and to be honest, most of the chatter is dominated by the fact that finally all of England is back in plan A as we start to leave the pandemic behind. Fantastic results and optimism from EasyJet this morning followed on from good news from Wizz Air yesterday. All indications being that already we can see a significant tick up in travel bookings, not just by Brits desperate to get away from these grey skies, but also by people looking to come back to London. Great news for the hospitality industry, of course, but for pubs, bars, the whole lot. Really looking forward to having global travel back in the middle of this global city. Also good news, of course, for business travel. Eurostar told us earlier this week that the lifting of restrictions had seen bookings in their business class service literally double overnight as people start to think good thoughts about the future. Meanwhile, on the markets, however, it's a slightly gloomier picture when it comes to the outlook for the global economy this year. The Fed indicated last night that it would, in fact, be raising rates almost certainly in March in order to tamper down runaway inflation in the US. Stock markets have baked that in so far, but really the question that everybody is asking is how many rate rises might there be? Some predicting as many as seven in the US in 2022. Analysts close to home looking at Threadneedle Street as well. We'll be seeing a rate rise or not in February, uh, in the middle of next week, February 3rd. My guess is we probably will see a quick nibble upwards, and then we'll have to wait and see what goes on from there. That's enough from the square mile today. I'll now bring in Jerome, who's really doing some fascinating stuff with distributed ledger technology to revolutionize post-trade processing. He's the president of Baton Systems. They've uh, hired some incredibly exciting people from the world of global finance in recent weeks. Uh, and he's here to join me now. Jerome, great to have you here. Great to be here, Andy. Thank you. Why don't we kick off with what is always the most interesting question? Because if you can't answer the question, then we've got a problem. Um, what is it that, that Baton does? What's the problem that it's solving? Well, I think in a nutshell, Baton is solving for uh, a problem uh, in the post-trade settlement space. Uh, today, Andy, uh, what happens is that there is a very limited number of people who can settle a limited number of currencies uh, in what's known as a riskless fashion, um, which means that uh, if you're not a member of this very small group, then you're essentially sending money out the door and hoping that you'll see some money back at some later point uh, in the day. What Bataan does is that it leverages distributed ledger technology as a means of allowing all market participants to collaborate uh, in the way they they settle uh, their obligations to each other in real time, and to be able to exchange their payment obligations simultaneously, which means that um, we are able to essentially eliminate risk from that settlement scenario. This is something that uh, has never been really achieved before outside of this uh, you know, very select group that I've just uh, described to you. And so what we're doing is essentially you know, contributing to, on the one hand, call it the democratization of risk of settlement uh, across both market participants and across the currencies that uh, are eligible for settlement uh, within this process. Mm. For those of us who are or for anyone listening who is, who is unfamiliar with, with the technology. Talk to us about 
about what that distributed ledger technology allows, what its advantages are. Sure. So I think maybe it's it's, it's helpful to start out, you know, just with the term ledger, Andy, um, because most of us, you know, have been interacting with ledgers most of our, our lives. Uh, sure. Ledgers are essentially databases. Um, but the way that we've typically historically interacted with ledgers is, you know, um, based on one-way travel. So I've got a bit of data that I want to uh, contribute to a particular network. I type on my computer, hit uh, an enter button, and off that data goes to a central store of that data. Something happens to that data, and then I get a message back showing me how my data has been transformed or you know, enhanced in some way. So it's a very sort of linear type of process. Mm. What the distributed ledger does, and you know, it is a ledger, so it's a store of data, but because of you know, advances in technology over the past 15, 20 years, uh, it does this in a very, very different way. What a distributed ledger essentially allows, Andy, is for the simultaneous access uh, validation and updating of, of records all operating across a network architecture. So in other words, what this means is that if you and I are on a distributed ledger and we're you know, working uh, together on a common set of data, any update that I make to that set of data will be immediately visible to you, okay? So uh, when you don't have to wait for data to go into a central core and come out of a central core to see what I've done. You're seeing what I'm doing in real time. Now, the question that you might be asking yourself, Andy, is, oh, that's great. We can see what each other is doing. But how do I know that, you know, behind the scenes, Jerome is not going to change, you know, what he's just entered and, you know, monkey around with the data? Well, mm. the distributed ledger actually, you know, you know, provides for that in terms of, uh, call it a notarization process. And typically this is referred to as hashing. So every time I take a step to transform a bit of data, across this distributed ledger, uh, this data or this change is notarized or hashed and becomes irrefutable. Uh, and that's what many people describe as the non-repudiation quality of uh, the distributed ledger. So all changes that occur to data states can no longer be changed. They become irrefutable facts uh, and provide uh, and, and constitute a record of all of that transactional history that's occurred between you and me. So you're essentially getting full transparency with the ability to call it back and see what has occurred, the processes to get us to that space. Correct. And where it becomes really interesting is, you know, when a baton steps into that, because we take the advantages of this visibility that the distributed ledger, you know, provides to us. And on top of that, we layer workflows. Uh, in our in, in our particular case, these are workflows related to FX settlement, right? Mm. So um, these workflows enjoy the same benefits that derive from the from the from from, from the distributed ledger, uh, the the visibility, the, the the collaboration, the irrefutability, and the simultaneity simultaneity of uh, uh, of exchange of information. So as you can imagine. <clears throat> This, has, this can be very, very powerful in, in the settlement environment. And what we do at Baton is that we cover this entire life cycle of uh, a particular you know, FX trade, you know, once that trade is, is, is done between two counterparties. We will acknowledge and, uh, the, the, the trade as having taken place, so that trade capture. We will build uh, a, a, a set of trades 
uh, that will constitute the basis for the eventual payment that needs to be made between two counterparties. So mm-hmm. if uh, you and I agreed to exchange dollars uh, for sterling, um, we will see in the data set a growing number of transactions and the amounts resulting from those transactions in dollars and in your dollars and in sterling uh, to be eventually exchanged between you and I. And when we do agree that it's time to settle, uh, and we can do that on demand, um, uh, we will see that I will see that you have funded your settlement account. You'll see that I have funded my settlement account. That is all recorded on the uh, on the ledger, and <clears throat> and only at that time will uh, the system allow for the simultaneous exchange of your obligation to me and my obligation <clears throat> to you to be. Uh, recognized and the ownership in those two uh, currencies to to be exchanged. So again, because of all of that, we can consider uh, these uh, transactions to be finalized uh, and riskless. And riskless is is of course the goal. Yeah. I was reading through some some policy papers out of the Bank of England before mm-hmm. we spoke about. Um, where po- you know post trade activities reporting collateral management century mm-hmm. and the bank said you know, it relies on a patchwork of manual or outdated technological processes mm-hmm. um using systems and data definitions that can vary wildly between mm-hmm. and often even within firms and it seems that what you're trying to do is is, is bring that together through this decentralized ledger which mm-hmm. i guess is blockchain inspired but i wanted to ask you a, a bigger question about you know, Baton is is growing very rapidly, series of very senior, impressive hires. And yet, from my understanding outside and reading a bit around the business, you seem to very much to be to still have that kind of fintech, um, almost just technologically very trying to move quickly and trying to innovate. Do you think that's given you an advantage necessarily against, you know, it well in the market that you're operating in, just to have a sort of almost fintechy um way of doing things i don't I'm, I'm not sure what you mean by a fintechy way of doing things but um um uh, i think uh and i guess it's an interesting question whether you know we have an advantage you know baton is you know a relatively young company we've been in existence for uh about five and a half years and we've been able to move you know quite quickly in terms of uh developing uh our our, our workflow and our, our distributed ledger technology, and, and uh, to deploy it uh, to you know our, our our client base. I think if anything, you know a number of factors have to come together in order to essentially say that a fintech you know has uh, you know a particular advantage in terms of being able to operate with with impact uh, you know in in this space. And uh, I guess a couple of the more important factors would be obviously access to funding because. Uh, you, you can't uh, you know do anything unless you've got money to do it with, um, and uh, also access to funding from investors who actually are supportive and believe in in what you're doing. Uh, on top of that, and I think you alluded to this, um, you know that mix of uh, talent, uh, expertise, and vision, you know, in the leadership is also very very important. And I think, as you point out, Andy, you know we've uh, we've been making some uh, very interesting hires. David Ornstein recently was announced uh, a few days ago who's joined as our COO, and he comes from a very exciting career as COO of the markets business at, at Barclays, for instance. So in addition to the leadership, um, I would, uh, you know, say that, you know, clearly, you know, these fintechs have to have, uh, you know, a value proposition, which is articulated around solving a real problem 
in the real, real world. And so if these factors come together, then, yeah, I guess you can say that, you know, fintechs, uh, you know, have a, a, an advantage. And um, and so, you know, I think that, you know, maybe we consider that as uh, 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 our starting point. I think that, you know, fintechs are, you know, considerably less, uh, you know, bureaucratic uh, in their approach to, you know, being able to push, you know, their boat out of the out of the slip. Yeah. Um, that's uh, that's clear. I think a fintech, you know, particularly in the early stages, can adapt much more, uh, you know, quickly to to changes to core assumptions and and to requests from uh, their early adopters. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I also think, you know, quite frankly, that uh, you know companies such as Bupan can also, you know, comp can compete effectively for that so-called, you know, you know, in the war for talent, um, because you know there is a you know a certain cachet or allure. You know, economically speaking, uh, you know, should you know the firm, you know, get it right in your mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it sounds like uh, being fleet of foot with good leaders who are you know well versed in the space yeah. and solving a real problem. Mm. Uh, you're probably not going to go too far wrong. So maybe that was a very good answer to a very bad question about the <laughs> fintechy way of doing things. And Jerome, we're going to have to leave it there because we're going to have to. Okay. Wrap up for today, but thanks for joining us. Sure. My pleasure, Andy. Take care. And that's all from us at the City View today. I'll be back on Monday. Do look out for our tech special tomorrow with Nassim De Silva. <laughs>